0: Philippians chapter 1, let's get after it. Here we go. So Paul is riding to this church. He's in prison. He knows suffering. He knows what it's like to suffer. And his suffering, we learned last week, has caused the gospel to advance. It's caused the gospel to advance because he's chained to soldiers, the most uh, elevated soldiers of that day, the most important people Paul is literally chained to right now. So he has a voice with these with these soldiers. And then the other reason the gospel is advancing is because of Paul's imprisonment, is all the other believers are seeing Paul in prison, seeing him remain faithful, and they have become more bold. In this section, Paul's going, he's writing back to this, these, his friends, this, this church that he loves, and he's going to reassure them of his well being and kind of start to share his philosophy of life. Let's look at it. We're actually going to read starting in verse 12, which is what I covered last time we were here to give us the context here's what he says i want you to know brothers that what has happened to me that's his imprisonment has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard those are those soldiers i was talking about and to the rest that my imprisonment is for christ and most of the brothers having become confident in the lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So these other Christians are becoming more bold. Verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. So there's this group that's kind of against Paul, and they're using this as a way to elevate themselves and kind of destroy him. Others preach Christ from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former, the ones that are talking bad about Paul, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. They just want to get themselves ahead. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Our text for today, verse 19. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. We'll pause there, we'll keep going in a second. So Paul goes through the fact that the Gospels rejoice, and he he says, I I can rejoice, even though people are are against me. Uh, The Gospels being preached, he says, and I will rejoice. And then he goes on, yes, I'll rejoice. For I know that through your prayers this will turn out for my deliverance. Look at the thinking of Paul. This book is a book about joy. I've told you that. The big picture of this is joy in the midst of any circumstance. Here's another sub-theme of the book of Philippians that we have to get. It's right thinking. Paul is making a decision here to rejoice. He says, the gospel's being preached, so I rejoice. And He says it again, yes, I will rejoice. Paul is going through a conscious decision here to say, I will choose to rejoice. This book is about right thinking. So Paul says, I rejoice that the gospel is being preached. That's this public. Paul can, can rejoice because of what God's doing in the world through the gospel. But then here's what he says. Yes, I will rejoice because this will turn out for my deliverance. So first Paul looks public, he's rejoicing the gospel's advance, and then he says, you know what, I'm going to look at my life and this imprisonment, and you know what, I'm going to rejoice, because this, this situation, this circumstance is turning out for my deliverance. Yes, I will rejoice. This is a book about right thinking. There's a coach that Brad and I work with that says a lot of the time to his players, who thinks your thoughts? And they respond, we do. Paul is choosing to think thoughts. He says, yes, I will rejoice. Here's what he could have said. I'm rejoicing that the gospel's advancing, and that's great, but this stinks right now for me. He could have said that, no, I'm 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 thankful the gospel is advancing, and you know what? I'm going to rejoice, because even though this is terrible right now, the situation, it's doing something in me. Paul is thinking his own thoughts in a way that's constructive. Emily and I, my wife and I, are doing this uh, clean eating thing. We're trying to suck it, you know, buckle it up for a few weeks here, so we've cut sugar out of our diet completely, and it's about, we started last Sunday, and so about day three, about Wednesday, my wife, who's very pleasant to be around usually, um, <laughs> will just say, get, started to get a little irritable, and uh, started to be, started to complain about the fact that she wanted sugar, and this sounds good, and this sounds good, and so, as a great loving husband who wanted to encourage his wife, I said to her, Emily, who thinks your thoughts? Which side note? It works great with football players. <laughs> to the young men out there, it doesn't work as well with spouses because she gave me this look. Like, do you want to know what I'm thinking right now? That's the that's the look I got. Right, but here's the situation. Paul, put yourself there. Been in prison for years. The guy's been through it. How easy would it be to say, you know what, I'm happy for you guys. I'm happy for what's going on there. But for me, this stinks. No, he says, you know what, I will rejoice. See, here's the thing for Paul. His feelings came and went, but his belief never wavered. He continually talked to himself. Yes, I will rejoice. Here's what he writes in 2 Corinthians about this time that we're reading right now. He says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired life itself. So let us not give this picture of Paul that he's there like, oh, I'm just Superman. I don't ever struggle with anything. Yes, I'll rejoice because, no. Paul despairs. He's despairing the fact that he's even alive. He's suffering that much. Let us not be fooled. Paul knew hurt. He felt. He had waves of feelings come over him. He knew despair. He says, We were utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired life itself. Have you ever been to the place where you have despaired even the fact that you're alive and having to go through it? Because that's where Paul is. Theologians call this the dark night of the soul. Some of you have been there that time when life hits the fan. And you kind of have this collapse of meaning in your life and you feel like there's no purpose. You're having these deep questions. You're wrestling with, do I even believe this gospel thing? Do I even believe in this God thing? The dark night of the soul. And that's where Paul is. He is despairing. And it's oftentimes during this dark night when we're in despair that God's grace shines through and opens us up to new and deeper life with Christ. Here's the question for you guys. When do you turn to Christ? When things are going good or when things are really bad? If you're like me, it's bad. Like when things are good in my life, I'm just like, yeah, I deserve that. Yep, I'm doing good. Yep. But all of a sudden, take the good out and bring some bad. And me, it's like, God, I need you. I need your help. And that's where Paul is. He's feeling the dark night of the soul. And here's what I would tell us that's probably when God's going to do the greatest work in our lives. When you're depressed, when the boss is killing you at work, when your marriage feels like a trap, when your singleness feels like despair. that's when God's going to work in your life. And that's the point when Paul says, you know what? I will rejoice. I'll rejoice. I could despair. I could go to depression. I I could go all these different ways. But no, I'm going to choose to rejoice. Believers, what is the engine that's driving your train? Is it feelings about your current circumstance Or is it the truth of the gospel? Because if, if what is driving you, is what, is what's driving your Christian life is this, oh, I love Jesus and he's so, I feel so close to God and all these things are going great. What happens when it hits the fan? Are your feelings and your circumstances driving your train or is your deep, abounding faith and trust in the sovereignty of God driving your chain, train? Here's how Jesus says it. There's two men One man, he builds his house on the sand. And one man builds his house on the rock. And then here's what Jesus says. When the storms come, not if, when. Because hear me, guys. Every single one of our lives, the storm is coming. I don't know what that storm will be. It may be a doctor that says, I'm sorry, but you have cancer. It may be something happening to one of your children. It may be your coworker. Destroys your reputation. I don't know what's going to happen, but the storm is coming. Jesus said there's two men. One builds his house on a rock. One builds it on sand. The sand is his feelings and how he feels and his religion and that sort of thing. The rock is Christ. And here's what he says. When the storm comes, that house that's built on the sand, it's gone. But the one that's built on the rock will stand up when the storms come. And for Paul, the storms are coming. They are here. Here's how he describes this time of life in 2 Corinthians. He says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, verse 24, five times I have received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, that's being beat with a whip, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. It's not the same as what students do today on campus, different type. Three times I was shipwrecked, At night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardships through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things. There's a daily pressure of my anxiety for all the churches. Hear me, Paul knew hardship. He knew it, and he's feeling it. And he says, yes, I will rejoice, right thinking. I will rejoice, verse 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance what is this? What, what it, this will turn out. His imprisonment. This, all the things he's going through. He says, I'm going to rejoice because this will turn out for my deliverance. So we're thinking, what do you mean deliverance, Paul? Like you're going to get out of prison? Or do you mean deliverance like you're going to go to heaven if they kill you? What, what, what do you mean by deliverance? And here's how I think Paul would answer that. Both. See, this is a statement. He says, I know. I will rejoice for I know this will turn out for my deliverance, deliverance. He doesn't say, I hope this will turn out for my deliverance. I know. It's a statement. It's a statement built on this firm, deep knowledge, this firm conviction. Paul has this conviction, this knowledge of the sovereignty of God, and he says, all the things that are going on here, I can rejoice because I know this, all this stuff, will turn out for my deliverance. Paul can say that because he knows theology. He knows the Bible. If you're a Christian, you've heard pastors or your youth group people, leaders say, you need to read the Bible. You need to have a quiet time. Here's the, here's the deal. I want you to read the Bible. I want you to study it. I don't want you to do it to make God proud of you. So many Christians think, If I'll just read the Bible every day, God will be proud of me and I'll kind of show him that I'm real. That's not why you study the Bible. Here's why you study the Bible. And here's why you learn theology. Because the storm is coming. And if you, during the storm, do not have that firm foundation of what the Bible says about God, you will fall. So don't read your Bible out of some religious guilt that, okay, I need, to, I need to check this off my list so God will be proud of what I'm doing. No, read your Bible because you say, I want to prepare myself for when the storm comes. Study the Bible. Study the character of God. Learn more who you are. Christians, we got a, a lot of young college students here. Are you getting your theology and your word from Instagram? Meaning, little Bible snippets they're on like a cool little background. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. And there's this little brook, you know, this little still stream, the sun's setting. Right? It's a cute verse. But that verse has nothing to do with a nice little cool stream and a sunset. That verse is about deep longing for God when you can't find him. God, as a deer that wants to find water and can't find it. As that deer pants and searches for water. That's how I feel because I can't find you right now, but I know I need you. That's what that verse means. But you have to read it in the context of the Bible to understand it. Instagram won't give you that meaning. Another one. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. God, thank you for my new car. You're so great. Oh, God, thank you for this job. Every good and gift comes from you. You know what that Bible's talking about? Or that verse is talking about? When you get fired from your job, because the Lord will use it to grow you. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. That's what that's talking about. Here's another one. This is a great one. All things work to good for those who love God. Oh, great God. I'm going to go to college and my roommate's going to be awesome and meet all these friends. It's my, my husband, like he's a, next month, I'm going to meet him. Everything's going to go great. All things work to good. Here's the reality: the good has nothing to do with your comfort or happiness. The good is what God's doing in you through your hardships. Oh, here's the best one we'll get to in a few weeks. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It has nothing to do with bench press. Nothing. (laughs) We and we laugh, and I'm obviously I'm joking. Or how true is it though? Hear me, guys. If we get our theology, if we get our Bible knowledge from Instagram, from just what I can give you on Sunday, from little coffee cups or t shirts, or all if you get it from there, when the storm comes, you will get washed away. Because there is no foundation there. Here's what he says again in 2 Corinthians, right about this time. He says, We felt that we'd received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely on ourselves. Not on ourselves, but on God, who delivers the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope, that he will deliver us again. Paul says, yes, I will rejoice, for I know, I have confidence in the character of God, and this will turn out for my deliverance. This will turn out for my deliverance, meaning whatever situation I'm dealing with, it is temporary, and God will deliver me. Now, maybe that means he'll deliver me by getting me out of prison. I'll be able to go do great ministry. Maybe that means he'll deliver me by I get my head cut off and I go be with Jesus. I don't know what, here's what he's saying, I don't know what it's like, but I know that God will deliver me, so therefore I can rejoice in my circumstances, even though they are really, really rough right now. This will turn out. For my deliverance, because the Bible teaches that God delivers the righteous. And by righteous, I don't mean people who do good things, people who have trusted in Christ. God delivers them. Your suffering, although hard, is temporary. And God is using it to make you more and more into the image of Christ. And Paul says, On that, I can rejoice. Paul has this unyielding confidence in the sovereignty of God. Paul would say, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm sitting in jail. I've been here. I'm waiting on Nero to decide what happens to me. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I know that God is using this situation for my deliverance, and on that, I will rejoice. That is right thinking, and that is a discipline of right thinking, Verse twenty. Let's keep going. I can rejoice. This will turn out for my deliverance. Verse twenty is it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul can rejoice in his circumstances because this is going to turn out for his deliverance and here's his goal honoring Christ that's his goal and that's why he can rejoice because his goal is still within reach now if his goal is a big house in the suburbs with a white picket fence two and a half kids and a dog rejoicing's out because that may be gone his goal is honoring Christ, and I can do that no matter what's going to happen to me. Therefore, I will rejoice. And I want you to see this about Paul. Like, Paul doesn't stumble into this mindset. I mean, we're reading this. We're like, some of you, I'm like, man, I want that. I want that type of, like, firm conviction, that kind. I don't care what happens to me. That just bold, like, I want to stand. I want that so bad. Well, here's what we got to know. Paul didn't stumble into that. Back in 19, here's what he'll say. Because of the prayers of the saints and the help of the Holy Spirit. See, Paul has these these things in his life that are encouraging him in this. He has other people, these prayers of the saints, these churches, this community around him, encouraging him, moving him on, spurring him on. If Paul's alone here, if he's a lone ranger Christian, I think he falls. But he has this great community that he knows is praying for him, they're encouraging him, and he keeps going. And then he says, through the help of the Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit literally is giving him full supply to make it through these circumstances and these afflictions that he's going through. Paul is not white knuckling, I've got to rejoice. He has this great community around him, and he has this utter reliance on the Spirit of God to produce in him someone that says, I'll remain firm. It's not him. It's how God's using other people and then the Holy Spirit to do that in him. Paul is preaching truth to himself, and as he preaches this truth of the word of God to himself, the Spirit is taking that truth and applying it to his life, and therefore he's standing firm. It's not Paul just doing it. I preach truth, the Holy Spirit uses that, produces in me this firm truth, foundation where I can stand strong. I preach truth. I speak right. I have right thinking. The Holy Spirit uses that to produce in me someone that can stand strong. It is not. I'm going to try and do better. So he says, through the help of the Holy Spirit, it's going to turn out for my deliverance, and my goal is to honor Christ in my living or even in my dying. Look at verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul's goal, honoring Christ, and here's as he works through this philosophy of life, here's what he says. I can rejoice. My goal is to honor Christ. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Living means Christ. Dying means more of Christ. Which sounds great, doesn't it? Like, I want to say, oh yeah, for me to live is Christ. Def, I, I want to say that. But maybe, uh, may I be careful to say that if there is no labor for Christ in my life. For me to live is Christ. Here's what, here's what I know. We live towards what we love. It's humans. We live towards what we love. So this afternoon, a bunch of you are going to put on wings on the grill. You're going to have a bunch of potato chips. and You're going to have a big party because you love football. And your love of football is going to cause you to live towards that. You're going to have a Super Bowl. Now, some of you are there for the commercials. That's okay. Right? But we live towards what we love. Some of you love fitness. Therefore, this week you're going to go run 60 miles and you're going to lift all kinds of weights. You're going to do that because you love. Some of you love hunting. Therefore, even though it's February and it's 20 degrees outside, you're looking for sheds. You're planning your food plots for next year. We live towards what we love. Always. So Paul says, I live towards Christ because my greatest love is Christ. For me, living is Christ. It's not just a, a coffee cup slogan. It's a daily discipline of shaping his love. And he does that through practices. Your practices shape your loves. So I want you to come to church and be in a community because this practice of singing the gospel and hearing the gospel and taking communion, I hope, is starting to shape your love for Christ, therefore making you more like him and wanting to serve him more. Your practices shape your beliefs and your loves. So if my practices are just the thumb flick through Instagram and Facebook and all, that's all I do all day long. That's going to shape my love, just not towards Christ. Our practices shape our loves. We live towards what we love. So here's Paul's philosophy of life. Living is Christ. Dying is more of Christ. we got to wrestle with this, 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 is a, this is a world, this is a philosophy of living. To live is Christ, to die is more of Christ. So I love business, I love entrepreneurship, I, I read a lot, I listen to podcasts, I, I'm just, I love learning about that. There's a guy named Gary Vanderchuk. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him. Um, he's an investor, he's a keynote speaker, an author a wine expert, entrepreneur, he turned a little family-owned wine store into a multi-billion dollar enterprise called Wine Library TV, okay, that's Gary Vaynerchuk. Now he has a greater love and the, his greater love is the New York Jets. Yeah, weird guy, right, come on. His biggest goal in life is to one day buy the New York Jets, his favorite team since he was five years old. So. Every time he speaks, every book he does, he will state, my number one goal in life is to buy the New York Jets. That is what I'm working for. Every ounce of money he makes, and he makes a lot of it, he puts, he saves, he reinvests, because ultimately everything he does is leading to the end goal of buying the Jets. Here's an interview. Here's what he says. It's on the screen, please. The truth is, I just love the climb. I love the sweat, the long hours, the uncertainties, the grind. Nothing in my life comes easy, and when we're dealing with something as huge as a lifetime goal, it's likely that things will change throughout that journey, but that's okay. It's part of the process, and the process of buying the Jets is what I love so much. The day I actually buy the Jets is going to make me incredibly upset, because the climb will be over. That's what really worries me, because then what? What? Now, hear me. At one level, I respect him. He's driven, and he knows what he wants, and he's working towards it. In a time when so many people are just kind of living a oh, just whatever happens, I'll just do, the guy's driven, and he's working a plan. And he has a plan. He's not afraid to step into the arena. If you were here a couple weeks ago, but I wonder if the biggest of a failure is success in the things that really don't matter. See, for him, he would say, living is the climb to buy the Jets. That's living for him, which is great. He's ambitious. He's got, it, it fuels him. He loves it. Living is the climb. But here's where his philosophy of life breaks down. What is dying? The fall. Right? If living is the climb, here's my goal. Here's what I'm doing. I'm going to buy the Jets. If that's living, then what's dying? To lose it all. If living's the climb, dying's the fall. How about if living is money, make more money, make more money, make more money, then what's dying? Broke. If living is pursuit of sex, sexual fulfillment, what's dying? None. If living is power, Dying, no power. If living is growing my company, my business, then what's dying? To give it to my son who blows it and ruins everything. If living is winning, then dying is losing. See, our philosophy of life is so important here. And I think Paul kind of gets one up on all of us. Because here's what he says. My living is Christ. Am I dying more of Christ? He's the only one that can say that. Out of all the philosophies of life, he's the only one that says, actually in dying, I get more of it. That's why the Bible will say, oh death, where is your sting? Now if your goal is to buy the jets, then death has a sting to it. If your goal is Christ, then Paul's going to say, you know what, death's not looking too bad. So Paul is completely focused on Christ above all else and his philosophy holds up in his living and in his dying. He's living for a higher purpose, a higher calling that can't be lost even if they cut his head off. Now I want you to hear me, I'm passionate right now and I am not preaching at you, I am preaching to me. Because I want to be that but I get so caught up in all these other things. And even the sermons I've been studying, that this is preaching to myself, Daniel, be about something that is actually eternal, that will last. Because all the other things that you worry about throughout your life, they're gone. In death, they're, they're gone. They don't matter. But this will last. To live is Christ. Verse 22, he says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell, meaning death or life. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire, what I want, this Paul talking, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. As Paul's been through it. He has scars to show on his back from the chains. He has bruises to show the rocks. That got. And here's what he's saying. He's sitting there feeling his hurts. He's like, you know what? Dying's not looking too bad right now because I get Jesus I was in a steakhouse in Austin last week really high-end steakhouse with some friends and um, the waiter comes up and he says well we have two steaks we're featuring tonight we have a bone-in ribeye or a bone-in filet and here's where I was as a person who loves food hard-pressed between the two both looked really really good and I'm sitting there thinking, everyone else has ordered, and if you guys know me, I'm pretty particular about food. And I, it's, a, it's a big decision for me. I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, okay, bone in ribeye, bone in filet. That's how Paul is. But it's, do I want to live or do I want to die? That's how hard his circumstances are, that death looks pretty sweet to him. Why? Because he gets Christ. Now, hear me. Notice his goal. His goal is not heaven; it's Jesus. One of the flaws I feel like, that I, I feel that we've stepped into in the church in the past hundred years is we've promoted heaven over Jesus. Become a Christian, so you can go to heaven when you die. Here's the reality: the Bible doesn't teach. Become a Christian, so you can go to heaven when you die. The only place that you can even kind of see that is. When on the cross, Jesus looks over to the thief and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. But I'd argue the emphasis is with me, not paradise. Paul's not saying, I want to die so I can go to heaven. Paul is saying, I want Jesus now, and when I die, I get more of Jesus. See, the biblical teaching of heaven is not us floating on the clouds with little, little halos and wings and kind of... That's not the biblical teaching about heaven. Actually, the biblical teaching about heaven is that Jesus is going to come back, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, we will be resurrected in our bodies, and there will be a new earth that we will live in in eternity with him. But hear me, the goal of the Christian life, as the Bible teaches, is not heaven, it is Jesus. Paul loves Jesus, he has an affection for Jesus. You'll never hear me say, say a prayer and become a Christian so you can go to heaven when you die. You'll never hear me say that because that's not the goal. Paul says, for me to live is Christ because I get Jesus, to die is gain because I get Jesus. And so Paul's writing to this Philippian church to make sure that they know that as news comes of his death to them, if they hear Paul died in prison, that they don't weep and cry for him, that they rejoice for him because he says, you know what, I'm doing okay. Guys, think about this philosophy of life and how free Paul is right now. He experiences a level of freedom that most of us don't know because his philosophy of life holds up no matter what happens to him. Imagine Paul in a courtroom He's got everyone around him. Nero's finally come back with his decision. Got all the witnesses, the jury, everyone's there. Paul's in the courtroom with well, the defendant. Please rise. You've been convicted of preaching the gospel. So here's your sentence We're going to beat you one more time. We're going to release you. Here's what Paul's going to say Yes, I'm going to preach the gospel. That means more of Christ, more fruitful labor to me. Well, the judge is like, okay, well, fine. You're going to have attitude. We're going to kill you. Sweet. Now I get Jesus. Okay, this time the judge is pretty ticked. Okay, well fine, Paul, we're just going to keep you in prison the rest of your life. Well, that's fine, I'll just convert all your guards while I'm in there. What do you do to him? Think of how free that is. What do you do to the guy? You can't hurt him. Because whatever happens, here's what he's going to say. I'm confident, I'm joyful because whatever happens, I get more of Jesus. If that means they let me go, I'll serve him until they kill me out there. That means they kill me now, sweet, I'll go with Jesus right now, I'm done with this place. That means they keep me in prison, watch out, because the rest of your guards are going to be singing hymns pretty soon. He's absolutely unstoppable. And it's right thinking because of this firm, deep, grounded theology. This is what it looks like to say, to live is Christ. Christ. to live as Christ, and it comes with the promise of abundance. Here's what Jesus says, John 10, 10, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come to give you life and have it abundantly. Now, a lot of us have read that and think, well, that's just talking about heaven. Yes, but it's also talking about life now. Like the way of Jesus is an abundant life. Here's the question, is Paul abundant right now? Yes. Show me another man that goes through what he went through and has the joy that he has. You're not going to find it. See, the claim of Jesus is my way of living is the best way to live. It's the best philosophy of life. And my way of life, the what I bring, is abundance. It's abundance. It's abundance of joy. It's abundance of peace. It's abundance of purpose. It's abundance. See, all of us here, like we want to live a great life. We want to live a full life. And here's the claim of Jesus follow me, because in following me, you'll find an abundant life. What you're looking for is found here. That's the claim of Jesus. We have to decide do I believe that or do I not? Opponents of Christianity would say it's for weak people who need to believe in some fairy tale heaven existence because they can't deal with the realities of life. That's what unbelievers would say about us. I would argue to believe in Jesus is a philosophy of life that carries over in living and in dying. And it's the best way to live. Christians, are you choosing to rejoice? Are you looking at your circumstances and saying, yes, I will rejoice? Because I know God will use this for my deliverance, to make me more like him, to make me love him more. Are you rejoicing in your circumstances? Some of you are going through through some tough ones right now. Are you rejoicing? Are you having right thinking? So you'll never hear me say at the end of a sermon, if you want to trust in Jesus and go to heaven when you die, come up here and you'll, you'll never hear me say that. But here's what I am saying. If you choose to trust in Jesus, you get him in your living and in your dying. And it comes with the promise of joy and abundance. Maybe not abundance in the way you think. I'm talking big houses and money and car. Not that type of abundance. Abundance of joy and peace. Now, if you're here today and you're saying, yes, I want that, I want you. this is the biggest lie in America. You don't get Jesus by being good. So it's not come to church and now i got to, okay, I want that. i gotta, I got to clean up my life and stop cussing and stop doing it. That's not how you get Jesus. You don't get Jesus by being good. You get Jesus by believing and repenting. You believe that he's the son of God, that he came and he died on the cross for your sins. You believe in that. You believe that if I'm going to get to God, if I'm going to have a relationship with God, it's only through Jesus and his cross. That's the believing part. Repentance is to turn away from another philosophy of life that says I'm in control and to turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, you kind of know what you're doing here. I'm going to live to follow you. Belief and repentance is how you respond to the gospel. And as you do that, you get Jesus. And I would invite any of you, if you want to talk about that today when we're done, be right down here. Come up. Let's talk about what it means to get Jesus. For maybe you, for the first time, to say, for me, to live is Christ. Believers, to live is blank. Wrestle with it. Job, my kids, my husband, my girlfriend. My the so problem is all those things, though they're great, they will not hold up in the end. Believers, for me to live is blank. Wrestle with that. As we take communion today as a community of believers, may we celebrate that we get Jesus in our living and in our dying. As you take the bread today, may you say, I get Jesus and in that I can rejoice. Let's pray. God, we, I so long, so much want to be like this. Many of us want to be like this, and we need your grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to become more and more like Christ, and this firm foundation. May we continue to have practices that are shaping our beliefs and our love towards you. For someone out there that's not a believer, not a Christian, I would would ask, Father, that you would um, reveal to them the glory of the gospel, the glory of who Jesus is, and that they would desire nothing else but him. May you overwhelm them with that this morning. And may we as individuals in the church continue to honor you in our living and in our dying.